you don't mind, do you mind if I take the jacket off first? struggle to get preachers to wear a tie in Springwood. Terrible situation. All right, let's start with a word of prayer before we open the scriptures. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the God that you are. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. We recognize this morning that we don't deserve your mercy, your grace. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and we thank you for the risen Saviour today. We serve a risen Saviour. We thank you for his victory on the cross victory over sin. We thank you for his victory over the grave and the risen Saviour walking the earth for the third day. We do pray that you would continue to bless this church. Thank you for your faithfulness to this church over 32 years. And we commit Clarence Valley to you for 32 more should you tarry your coming or should you withhold your return. And Lord, we know that your goodness is, is just like you. It is unchanging. Pray that we rest and trust in you. We pray that the word would be applicable to our hearts today, that we would learn from you, be drawn nearer to you, that we would have soft, receptive hearts and minds today. Lord, help us to be thoughtful, considering your word. Help us to not just hear your word today and depart from here, uh, having the same mind, the same attitude, the same practice. Help us to hear your word and apply it. We may be wise. Help us not to forget what matter matter of men we are as we behold ourselves in in the scriptures. So we pray for your blessing, we pray for your work, we pray for the Spirit's work in the preaching of your word, uh, that we may hear from you. Lord, our desire is not to hear man's thoughts, but yours, that we may be drawn nearer to you. So we pray these things and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. As Pastor mentioned, uh, I am a graduate of college here number of years back, I can't quite remember how long, but uh, I praise the Lord for the way the Lord used that in preparing me for the ministry where he's called me to now in Springwood, and things up there are going quite well. Um, The church, the little church up there is growing nicely, and uh, people are coming along, and people are rejoicing in the things of the Lord. We had a a men's breakfast just the other day, and a a young man walked in looking for directions to Light Street. Um, Who asks for directions these days when you've got a mobile phone with a GPS? But he wandered in, he must have smelt the bacon. Um, and he was a, a discouraged, trying to be a Pentecostal Christian, desperately trying to speak in tongues, and to no avail, praise the Lord. Um, but we had a young man or an older man there who was able to take him under his wing and talk to him about the scriptures and turn to things. Little things like that are happening, and it's just a blessing to see the hand of the Lord uh, at work in Springwood. Um, his name? Marcus. If you think to pray for Marcus, that would be a blessing. But if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke 24 this morning. It's an interesting concept, uh, trying to prepare and think about what would the Lord have you preach on for a church anniversary. There are a lot of things that we could think about, but the Lord has led me to a passage here which may be a little unusual for for the situation, but it's certainly applicable for us as Christians. So Luke 24, and we are reading, of course, of the Resurrection Day. We are going to consider from verse 13, two men or two people, two disciples on the road to Emmaus. A familiar passage, and I hope this morning a fresh thought or a fresh challenge from the word of God. So let's look, Luke 24, beginning at verse 13. And behold, two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all the things which had happened 
came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And they said unto them, and he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as you walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there these days, in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel and beside all this today is the third day since these things were done yea and certain women also of our company made us astonished which were early at the sepulchre when they found not his body they came saying that he that they had seen a vision of angels which was which said he was alive and certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it even so as the women had sinned said but him they saw not and he said unto them O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went. And he, would, and, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, and say, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, and took bread, and blessed it, and brake, and gave it to them, that their eyes were opened. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us, while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose the same hour, and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. Wonderful passage, isn't it? Who would have liked to be on the road to Emmaus that day? Perhaps the first part of the day, you might not like to be on the road to Emmaus with those downcast, discouraged disciples. But at the end of the day, we would all resonate with their experience, I trust. We have a resurrected Saviour, and we have joy in our hearts because we serve a risen Lord Jesus Christ. And over the past 32 years, you've seen his good hand, You've heard him from the scriptures. You've fellowshiped and communed with him here at Clarence Valley. And I, I praise the Lord for that. That's a wonderful testimony of the Lord's goodness. But today I want to challenge you as well. All right? And I'd like for us to think perhaps inwardly as individuals and collectively as a church in Springwood, um, up there in Queensland, here down in New South Wales, here at Clarence Valley. Uh, think about us as a church. Have we still got the fire burning in our hearts? Uh, do we have the same fire those disciples had as they walked up the mountain road back to Jerusalem? Perhaps they ran, I would suggest they did, with joy in their step. Do you still have the zeal that you had when you came to the Lord, however long ago, however long ago it was? Today we're going to look at two men here this morning in this first session, two men who had lost hope, two men who were discouraged once they had burning hearts for the Lord Jesus Christ, and now they are downcast, discouraged, their noses towards the ground, their feet trudging through the dust. You ever met a Christian like that? Have you ever been a Christian like that? Haven't we all, at time to time, been discouraged in our walk and found our heads down rather than our hearts rejoicing? You can relate to that, I'm sure. We've been there, 
but we don't need to stay there because Jesus seeks us out. We've been downcast and hurt before. The truth is that God wants to set your heart and my heart on fire for him. He wants us to love and to serve and to rejoice in his person, in his work, in his, in his, in his, in his witness, right? in the job he's called us to do, in the Great Commission. He wants us to not just do it out of, out of duty, but out of delight. And sometimes we miss that. We want to do the right thing. We long for the eternal. We long for the fruit from God. We want the Holy Spirit working in our life, bearing about the fruit of the Spirit. Yet so often life becomes, dare I say it, hard. Drudgery. You know, walking in a direction perhaps you shouldn't go. People in churches today come, and I'm not going to try and... I'm, don't take this the wrong way. I, I don't know your, your love for the Lord. I don't know your acts of service. But I know mine. Right? And I'm preaching to myself, and I'm preaching to my church, and I'm preaching to brothers in the Lord. But I know people in churches that come and go, they sit in the pew, they open their scriptures, they turn up Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, they serve on Friday nights, but their heart doesn't burn. They don't have a zeal. They don't have a love that consumes them. They have faithfulness, which is good. They have all of the, the motions right, but that joy and the light in the eye and the love for the Lord is just starting to dim. Um, we could call Christians like that who start with a, with a zeal and then peter away like fireworks. Have you ever heard that saying, fireworks Christians? Where it's like a big bang and a bright light when they first get saved and then it just peters out. We don't want to be those kind of Christians because God wants us to be bright lights set on a hill. We'll talk more about that next time. Uh, but now let's talk about our hearts. A lot of Christians, we have the facts, but we don't have the fire. We have the theology, but not, we could say, the doxology. We know what we know, but what we know doesn't just transform our heart with joy. It doesn't lift us up from the miry clay and set us on a rock like it should. We have, dare I say it, sad faces rather than singing voices. You know what I'm saying? I, know, I can't sing very well. You would have heard me perhaps this morning because I, I sing, but I don't sing well. And, and I know churches where people love to sing and I know churches where people just look forlorn whenever the leader, song leader stands up and says, let's turn to this number. People don't even, they're not excited about it. Where is the zeal? I'm not asking for emotionalism in the church in Springwood where I pastor and I'm certainly not asking for it here. It's, extreme emotionalism is no good, but religion without emotion... What is it? There's no love for the Lord. What have we got? Let's have a think. What were they talking about as these men... And I say men, and that's a presumption. It might have been Cleopas and his wife. I, I don't know that the Scriptures tell us who the second disciple was. I, a bit of a presumption. You might have an answer for me later on. You can tell me um, who the second disciple was. Um, but these two disciples are walking down and they're heading away from Jerusalem, their faces are towards Emmaus and I suspect they're going home. They're on their way away from the centre of Christianity, the very birthplace of where things are going to take place. They're heading in the opposite direction and as they walk, dear friends, they're heavy, their feet are as heavy as lead. What are they talking about? You can see it there. They talked together of all these things which had happened and it tells us about the things that have happened, that Jesus 
who they thought was a prophet, who they thought was the one who was going to deliver them from the impression from the oppression of Rome, the one that they had their faith in has died. And they are talking about these things on in the way. And this, I believe, is one of the loveliest stories in Scripture because these downcast disciples are transformed to delighted disciples just in a meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the blessing of it all. Because I know how they feel. I've kind of been there. And I know what it is to be met by the Lord in the Scriptures and and to have your eyes open to the truth once more and to be refreshed and renewed and have that, that fire again. Perhaps today... And I don't know your situation. Perhaps you are discouraged and perhaps you are finding it hard in your walk with the Lord and life has made things hard. Perhaps you're discouraged, defeated, take heart. The story here is for you. Perhaps you, you feel like I do, the, the frailty and perhaps the, the proneness to fall into discouragement. We need to be reminded of the cure for discouragement here in the page. And as a church, looking at the Lord's goodness if we want to have a fire that burns and not be known as a church that's left their first love, we must commune with God in the Scriptures. We must. We must draw near to our Lord and Saviour and allow Him to speak to our heart from the very words of this book. If we want to be a church here at Clarence and up there in Springwood, churches that have a zeal that continues, this must be true in your life and in mine. It must be. Today we're going to look at three points as we consider burning hearts, God's desire for us to have burning hearts. Firstly, broken hearts. We'll talk for a moment about broken hearts. Secondly, Jesus and the scriptures. And thirdly, burning hearts. You can see the pattern, can't you? Broken hearts, Jesus and the scriptures leads to burning hearts. Let's talk about broken hearted believers here. Verse 13 and 14. Behold, two of them went that day, that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. They, in, the, in the, the Greek there, when they were talking, it's in the imperfect tense. They, they talked together of the things that happened. The imperfect tense means they, they talked over and over. It's like they were going around in circles, all right? Over and over and over, they kept talking about these things. And you can hear just the discouragement on the page. They kept going, bandying about. Well, he rode into Jerusalem. Remember that? Now he was on the donkey, he went in there and everyone cried, Hosanna, save us now. They received him as king and what? He didn't do anything wrong. The scribes and the Pharisees, they arrested him, put him up before a court, tried him, condemned him to death and then the whole time we were thinking that someone's going to come and the angels are going to come, something's going to change but no, he died on a cross and was buried. And they're talking there going down the road, you can hear it, can't you? You know, two people who are discouraged this bad habit of causing more discouragement all right if you're discouraged find someone who's not because they'll help you but more discouraged people it's just a downhill walk isn't it they kept trudging it says there that they continued to question they communed together and reasoned they reasoned or they questioned we understand that to be They, they they examined and they were thinking and trying to work these things out and so much so that their eyes are on the dusty road that they did not hear the footfall of the risen Lord Jesus Christ behind them. You ever been there? Been so discouraged that you can't see the Lord? You can't hear the Lord? He's standing right next to you saying, oh, just, just hang on, we don't hear him. Because we're so caught up with the situation we find ourselves in, we miss the Lord in it all. 
But Jesus approaches and it says there that their eyes were holding that they should not know him. So that might have been a spiritual work. I'm not sure whether they were just so consumed in their grief that their, their eyes were on the road and they weren't listening to, to the Lord walk up. And in verse 17, he said unto them, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? Sad is dreary, right? Filled with a settled grief. I'll never smile again type grief. Have you ever been there? But having drawn near, the Lord draws them out. Isn't this precious? He draws near to a discouraged disciple and he draws them back to a burning heart. Draws near, then draws out. Why are you sad? Why are you talking about these things? And they don't recognise him. And what is Cleopas saying? Are you a stranger? <laughs> have, you, have you not been here in Jerusalem? Do you not know what's going on? Are you not aware of these things? And Jesus' response is precious, isn't it? You know what Jesus says to Cleopas? What things? Isn't that nice? Did Jesus know what things? Absolutely he did. He was not only is he omniscient, the son of God, but he actually endured it all. So he knew firsthand from experience. He knows because he's God. But here this, this disciple, he said, don't you know what's going on? And Jesus, and I suspect with a smile on the inside, said, what are you talking about there, Cleopas? What things? What is it that's got you so discouraged? And I can't... You can imagine Jesus just excited that he's going to reveal himself to this man. And this man's going to be drawn out of this discouragement. What things? Um, parents... We know this kind of interaction because sometimes our children might experience something, maybe they learn something in Sunday school and they're really excited to tell you about it and they come and say, you know, I learned today about David and Goliath and you say, what about David and Goliath? You know all about the story, you know better than they do but you love to hear your children explain it from their perspective, don't you? That's in the good things. What about when they fall over and hurt themselves? Right? They trip over and scuff their knee and you've seen it, you saw what happened and you tripped over on the edge of the concrete and and he comes over and his tears down his face and he says, what, what happened? You know what happened. But we want to hear it from them. We want to give them comfort in that time. And Jesus is doing just that. He wants to comfort and encourage these downcast disciples. Heavy hearted. Now I've been there and I, I probably don't have the time to tell you my personal experiences with this. You can probably think in your own heart, think about your own times of heaviness we're very good at unloading our hurt to others, aren't we? When we should unload it to the Lord. When we do feel this way, it is best and always best to run to the Lord, casting our cares upon Him, knowing He cares for us. In fact, we're called to, aren't we? The uh, disciples at the death of John the Baptist, and we won't turn there, we're going to move fairly quickly through this portion of the, the sermon this morning, but the disciples, upon taking up the body of John the Baptist after he was beheaded, the first thing they did, they buried it and then they went and told Jesus. It's a good thing to do, isn't it? You take your hurts to the Lord. So Jesus says, what things? And they proceed to explain what things are burdening their hearts. And, and their response is very telling, isn't it? You were listening when we read through there at the start. You could hear their, their focus. You could hear their, their misunderstanding. You know, we had trusted that this would be the one who would deliver us. They missed the point. I want to give you two reasons here just from the text two reasons that these disciples have lost hope. We're talking about broken hearts. Why are their hearts broken? The first reason that they lost hope was because Jesus didn't meet their expectations. Now, this is true for us too, by the way. 
if Jesus doesn't meet our expectations, that leads us to some serious despair and discouragement. You see it in verse 19. What things? They said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Jesus didn't do what they expected he would do. And you know this. These disciples were expecting a Messiah to come and establish a kingdom. You, you know this. And when Jesus didn't do what they thought Jesus should do, then they were discouraged. They'd seen him take five loaves and two fish and miraculously feed 5,000 people plus more, 5,000 men plus women and children. And they thought, marvellous, the age of hunger's over and what encouragement that would be to them. They'd seen the blind receive their sight, the hand of the Lord, lame men walking, leaping and praising God. They'd seen all of this and their hearts burned. Perhaps they knew the scriptures to a degree that Isaiah 35 talks about the eyes of the blind being opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Maybe they, maybe they knew some of these things. The lame man leaping as a heart. They'd seen these things and the fire within them burned, culminating when Jesus got on the donkey, rode into Jerusalem. And what is their thought? The kingdom's here, brother. We're going to overthrow oppression drive the Romans out but instead of grabbing a sword and crying charge he laid down on a cross and allowed himself to be nailed there how they must have thought this is not how it's supposed to happen we're not supposed to watch him die we're, we're supposed to overthrow not be overthrown we don't understand this and I'm sure if they were there that day hearing the mocking crowd cry, he saved others, let him save himself, that they were thinking, surely Jesus, please save yourself. Not knowing that he came to overthrow a greater oppressor than Rome, that is sin and death. But in his final cry, they saw him bow his head and breathe his last and say, it is finished. Jesus didn't meet by the way, I shouldn't say that quietly. When Jesus said it is finished, it was a victory cry, not a, not a, a weak, frail word. It was a cry of victory. That's why the centurion said, truly, this man was the son of God. He knew what dying men sounded like, and Jesus didn't die like others. There he did, he died. And unbelief filled the heart of their disciples because they did not believe, or they didn't, Jesus didn't meet their expectations. They'd lost their best friend their hope I don't know there's a pretty sad walk walking away from the grave of a loved one have you ever been there I have been to a number of funerals now and it is always difficult to walk away from the gravesite and I'm only a young man I've probably got more of that to look forward to but it's a very lonely difficult walk to walk away from the grave of a loved one their faith was shaken and I want to ask you the question as we think about this reason for a lost hope and a broken heart does Jesus, has Jesus ever not met your expectations? It's kind of a trick question, isn't it, in some ways, because Jesus is never going to fail, is he? This is the Son of God we're talking about. The problem is not with his performance, it's with our expectation. You talk to some Christians in some different churches, they'll believe that Jesus and God's plan for you is health, wealth and prosperity. When that doesn't happen, that leads to some very hurt, even believers, because they think God promised them a happy, healthy, joyful life and actually, what does the scripture tell us? Persecution. Right? You 
follow me, if you love me, if you honour me, the world will hate you. But these Pentecostals have in their mind that somehow God has promised them health, wealth and prosperity and when he doesn't deliver, what does that do to their faith? Downcast, depressed, perhaps believers. Maybe, and I've been there with folks, praying for a marriage which is about to fall apart and you're praying earnestly and fervently, Lord, save my marriage. Don't let this fall apart because of this wickedness. But it falls apart. What does that do to someone's faith? discouragement despair because I thought God would would fix things when he let it fall Um, we had a young fella not in our church but um, a couple of young boys in our church knew him quite well but a 17 year old got killed in a car accident a couple of years back and he was a young man who just got things right for the Lord and was just looked like he was going to go on for the Lord in so many ways Um, and he got his life taken in a car accident and even mature strong Christians in the church respond by going God why why would you allow that why did you save him why did you get it right just to take him you know where we expected you would do so much more with this young life yielded to the Lord why would you take him and it let even mature Christians down the road to Emmaus unbelief missed expectations Right, and we know their expectations were of an earthly kingdom. Jesus was there to establish a spiritual one. They missed his purpose. They had unmet expectations. The second reason was their ignorance of the scriptures. Obviously, that's what they said. We expected it would be he that would redeem Israel. But they missed the cross. Jesus plainly said that he was going to die, raise, rise again the third day, sign of Jonah. He was going to destroy this temple, build it up in three days. Destroy this temple, I'll build it up in three days. And they're thinking this temple took 47 years to build and you're going to build it in three days. But they failed to understand he was talking about his body. They missed what Jesus said. They missed the Old Testament references to the crucifixion. In Psalm 22, verse 14. And these are... It's hard to read there. You can turn there. I'll give you a moment while I collect my... Kind of my emotions, really. Psalm 22, verse 14. I want you to read these verses here. I have the same reaction when we go to Isaiah 53 and verses like that. Psalm 22, 14 through to 16, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like pots heard. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death for dogs have compassed me the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me they pierced my hands and my feet so many old testament prophecies pointing to the messiah dying his death by crucifixion pierced hands and feet and there's a description there of the crucifixion and how it functions on a body thousands of years oh sorry hundreds of years pardon me before the crucifixion was even invented these words were written Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering servant dying for the sins of the people. 700 years before Jesus was even born, Isaiah gives details of his life and death, that he'd be rejected, that he'll be killed as a vicarious sacrifice for the sins of the people. Isaiah 53 talks about him being silent in front of his accusers. Messiah will be buried with the rich. Messiah will be with criminals in his death. All these things mentioned years before. Yet these men were ignorant, weren't they? They didn't know 
and that led them to doubt. Not only was his death prophesied, but his resurrection, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. How abreast are you of the scriptures this morning? Because I've only been a pastor a little while, but this is a pretty obvious parallel. You know someone who's discouraged? Typically they're not reading their Bible. The two go hand in hand. First time I talk to someone who's discouraged and walking away from the Lord, I, I talk to them, you, you know, you're reading the scriptures, you're interested in drawing it. Oh no, I'm not reading the Bible. Your Bible is no good unless you read it. It's not good sitting on your bedside table as a little talisman to protect you from demons. It doesn't work that way. It is no good carrying it along and having it nice and shiny and next to your, you know, your church clothes and oh look at my Bible is no good unless you read it. This is the wonderful thing. Jesus knew their need. He draws near them to these downcast, broken-hearted believers, I would suggest, and he expounds the scriptures and teach, pardon me, teaches himself. Jesus and the scriptures. He draws near to rekindle the fire, re-establish, re-establish the hope. There's a few openings here in this passage, and it's interesting in your own time, because we'll try and move through quite quickly but in your own time reading through this passage look for the openings first he opens the scriptures secondly he opens their eyes to who he is then he opens their understanding and there's a number of openings here through the text jesus opens the scriptures in luke 24 verse 25 O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken did you not see it Beginning at Moses, verse 27, and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Isn't that not wonderful? Can you imagine being there? Pastor, you imagine being like, it's just, would it not thrill the soul? Did he start at Genesis? Did he say that the seed of the woman that would bruise the head, the seed of the serpent, would he say, would he go right back? I suspect he would. Maybe he went back to Genesis 1 1 and said, I'm the creator. Right in the beginning, God created them. Genesis 3, I'm the seed of the woman that will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And maybe he went to Genesis 3.22, and I am the, you know, the animal that was, was slain in order to provide coats of skins and clothe those sinners. He says, this is, this is me, right? This is pointing to me. And he goes to Leviticus, perhaps, maybe jump, let's not jump out. Genesis 22, and Abraham ascending Mount Moriah with his son. Do you think he did not go to Genesis 22 and say, you see this? This is me. I am the Son. God is the Father. I laid down my life. A wonderful reference to a, a ram with its, its horns caught in a thicket. You know this? Imagine walking down the road, discouraged, and then this one comes along and he says, let's talk about the Scriptures together. You see this? This is me. Leviticus, and he says, I am the, the, the scapegoat, or I am the high priest. Exodus, I'm the Passover lamb. Joshua, the captain of the Lord's host. And he goes through. You know, Ruth, I'm the kinsman redeemer. Um, Psalms, he's, I'm the shepherd. Song of Solomon, I'm the bridegroom. I am, you know, my beloved. You imagine being there and singing and hearing and, and looking and the page just coming. Wow, this is Jesus Christ. Do you sit there with the scriptures and do this? I do, and I love it. Do you look for the Lord on every page? I'm yet to find passages of scripture where I can't see the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is there, perhaps standing in a corner, or he is there front and centre in the middle of the page, but Christ is there. 
And Jesus, walking with these men, encourages them and draws them to this understanding. He shows them who he is and what happens to their hearts. Did our hearts not burn within us while we walked with him on the way? Jesus in the scriptures takes broken hearts, makes them burning. Do you remember? Sorry, imagine this with me, please. Imagine Jesus walking down there and he's gone through all those books that I've talked about and he comes to, let's say, Isaiah 53. Imagine Jesus preaching himself from Isaiah 53, the day he's risen from the dead. These men are saying, we thought that he was the prophet, that he was going to save us and he was going to redeem us from the the oppression of Rome. We thought that he was, but he let us down. And Jesus comes along with, with tears in his eyes and says, surely he has borne our grief. Can you imagine that? And these men, burning hearts. I wonder if you conclude, and we could talk about others, Zechariah um, 12, 10, talking about, you know, they'll look upon me whom they've pierced and they'll mourn for him. You know, I just, I wish I was there. And I'm looking forward to being in heaven with him and I suspect he'll do the same thing for us. Teach the scriptures to us and show us himself in a way that we've missed over and over. I wonder if he got to Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, where he says this, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Do you think these disciples felt like calves in a stall growing up, protected and nurtured and cared for? You know, you that, you that fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, will arise with healing in his wings. Is that not what Jesus is doing to these men? Perhaps men, maybe it was a woman there as well, I don't know. One passage after another. Oh, the Bible is the revelation of God's Son from Genesis to Revelation. Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. I wonder if we were walking the road to Emmaus and Jesus appeared to us. Would he say the same thing today? And I'm talking spiritually, of course. If we're walking a a broken heart, discouraged life and we're walking away from where we should be and our nose is in the dirt rather than our hearts up in the heavens, would Jesus come along and say to you this morning, oh, fools and slow of heart to believe? Did I not say, I'll never leave you nor forsake you? Why do you feel discouraged? Did I not say that I am faithful and I'll provide all of your needs? And as you as a church look back over 32 years, I know there's been hard times, but God's grace is evident all the way. His goodness. Oh, Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe. Does the Lord speak in the same way? He does to me, and I'll be perfectly frank and honest with you. The amount of times the Lord through the Scriptures just makes me realise that I'm just like this. Oh, ye of little faith, you read those passages? And we, like the disciples, cry out and say, Lord, increase my faith. Do you feel that way when you read those? Oh, Lord, that's just me. Ye of little faith, why am I slow to believe what you have to say? How does faith come? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's what happens here. And these men went from faithless to faithful, didn't they? Their desire at the end of their walk, what was their desire with a burning heart? We can just look at that in a moment. But their hearts are burning and what do they want to do? Jesus made you know, indication that he was going to continue on further without them. Let's just pause for a minute. Where in the world could Jesus have been this day? Like this is a random spot to appear for two discouraged disciples, isn't it? Does that make you feel blessed knowing that he has his eye on our discouragement? He's not in Jerusalem. He's not up there, you know, working with great crowds of people. He's down there on a dusty road with two people with their noses in the dirt. 
You ever feel like you're lonely walking a road you don't want to be on? The Lord sees you right where you are and he will come and help. It's a blessing. And he made indication that you know the day was far spent and he wanted to move on further. But they, in verse 29, but they constrained him. You know, that, that's a lovely word, isn't it? Don't go. We want you here. Is that your heart? Lord, I want you here. I don't want you to go. I don't want, I don't want you to walk down the road any further unless I'm walking with you. I don't want you to disappear. I, I, I constrain you to abide with me. Now, we don't need to hold on, all right? He's holding us. But all oh, the attitude. Lord, please abide. What did he do at the end of verse 29? Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. Isn't that a nice thought? He, he, he accepted their invitation. He honoured their request. Draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. Isn't that what James says? Abide with us. There's a couple of things I want to talk about with the burning hearts and time is getting away so we'll, we'll just look at these in point form and we might even build this in the next session. Um, firstly, in verse 32, I want us to see that in their hearts burning, they, they recognised who he was. They saw him in his glory. They, they saw him in his entirety. And it came to pass as he sat and met with them and he took bread and blessed it and broke and gave it to them and their eyes were open and, and they knew him. Knew knew intimately, knew, they understood him, they knew him. And I, I can't help but imagine him, you know, was it the breaking of the bread beside the, the Sea of Galilee that came to mind and it all just flooded back? Perhaps it was another time. And he vanished out of their sight, verse 32, and they said one to another, did, our heart, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the Scriptures? breaking of the bread perhaps as he broke the bread the nail prints in his hands does Jesus still have those I know to Thomas you know, look look right. perhaps they saw the nail prints and it all just flooded back the scales dropped they recognised who he was their hearts are burning they're rejoicing in the scriptures once more they see who Jesus Christ is and I tell you now if you're discouraged or you ever discouraged as a church this is the key Get to Christ of the Scriptures. See who he is in all of his glory. And what did they do? You know how far it is from Jerusalem to Emmaus? It's about, some say, about seven miles. Haven't been there, haven't walked it. Taking other people's word for it. But about seven miles. And it's walking down from the height of Jerusalem, downhill toward Emmaus. And I suspect that walk took them a long time as they were trudging away from the empty, from the empty tomb. But there they have a meal with the Lord. He disappears... And in verse 33, what do they do? They rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and then with them saying, The Lord is risen indeed, hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. They rose up and ran. If they walked slowly from Jerusalem, you can bet that they raced back to Jerusalem with joy in their step. And I've been giving you a picture of trudging through the dust. Do you reckon they were, their feet were skipping? as they raced back with good news to tell. I want to ask you this morning, do you have good news to tell? No? I hope you do. The Lord has risen. He's conquered death. He's conquered sin. 
He's providing salvation. He provides salvation for all who believe. He loves the whole world. There was recognition of his person, then resumption of his witness, if you want. A couple of little points there when we think about burning hearts. They went back. Burning, bright, risen, saviour, hope, secured. It's a good reminder, isn't it? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a what? Do you remember that for reference in First Peter? To a lively hope. We've been born again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible. We have a living hope because we have a saviour who lives. I don't know your situation, but I know the wonderful story we have here applies so richly to me. Downcast, broken hearts, transformed to burning hearts with joy and a resumed witness once more. You think they were going to Emmaus to tell people about the Lord? They were going to Emmaus to just go back to life. Oh, well, we thought, but now we were wrong, so let's just go back to whatever the family business is. Broken hearts, renewed, burning zeal, transformation through the scriptures brings about a resumed witness for the Lord. I know in our circles, the one thing when I read through those books, the, the, the letters to the seven churches in the early part of the book of Revelation, I know that I can see the real tendency fundamental, Bible-believing, doctrine-preaching churches to leave their first love. Let's make sure we commune with him in the scriptures and allow him to build that zeal should it ever go out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these two disciples. We thank you more for the Lord. We thank you for the story and the account of the interaction between the two. And we relate well to the discouragement that often besets our soul. We find ourselves weary and walking in, in ways that carry us away from your will. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes. Even this morning, Lord, if there be here those that are discouraged and downcast and dry, I pray that you would meet them in the scriptures and that you would reveal yourself and your love and your grace and glory in a way that renews a zeal, that we may, not out of duty, but out of delight, to run to the lost with a wonderful message to tell that Jesus is risen and salvation is offered to all. We thank you for the time and the word this morning. We pray that you'll continue to be with us throughout the day, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I'll pass back to...